Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the world of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconian, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet, He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, And Lyaconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having pursued or persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they turned to Lystra and to Iconium. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time 
with the disciples. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, pray with me before we look at this. Father in heaven, we praise you for this afternoon. There was an uncommon beauty to it, uh, the warmth of the sun um, on the snow. And when we sing that you have washed us white as snow, as your word says, um, some brilliance of that struck us today, and we thank you for that. Father, thank you um, that we live in a beautiful place. Father, we're very thankful to be able to come together and worship today. Father, we recognize that this happens every week. And so often we don't take advantage of it. And we wonder why we struggle. We wonder why um, we feel sometimes as if we're starving. And Father, I thank you for your knowledge of us and the regularity with which Sundays come. You know, Father, how in my heart... There are times when I complain how quickly they come. But Father, I'm so thankful that you again have drawn us together before your word and your table that you would feed us. Jesus, when we stop and think about you being God, that by your words you called everything into being that exists, when we think about you becoming a human being, um, there's such great mercy there, we, or mystery there. We, we scratch our heads and wonder, how is it possible? But particularly at this time, I'm so grateful to you, Jesus, that you know what it's like for us to come as everything around us gets quiet and Satan tempts us to despair and tells us of the guilt that is within us. That we shouldn't listen, that we have no right to listen, that we shouldn't be here, that if people knew us, found us out, if our true colors were to shine. But Lord Jesus, you tell us to look up and to see you there, seated at the right hand of the Father. And that you, Jesus, are the one who made an end to all of our sin. Lord Jesus, because you were sinless and you died for us, my sinful soul, our sinful souls are counted free. We praise you for that. That God, you are the just one and you are satisfied so that we can rest. You are satisfied to look on Jesus and to pardon us. Father, beyond anything, I pray today that you would settle upon our hearts that we are forgiven. And as we saw last week, we are set free from everything that we were bound by. The law can't set us free. We are set free from condemnation and death and the inability to obey. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be with us. We pray that you would settle our hearts. I pray especially for the Raffles that you would settle their hearts as they await this arrival of this baby tomorrow. We pray for safety. But Father, we recognize that we need you. 
And so we praise you that you have promised to meet us. And so we pray that even now your word would bear fruit in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. Jesus said of the temple when they were selling all kinds of things in it, my temple is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations. And I do hope that oftentimes you stop and simply drop your head and pray while we're here. As we study the word of God and as he makes his glory known to us in Christ. This is the end of Paul's first missionary journey. It's the last uh, sermon that we have in this first missionary journey. In some ways, I wish that I could spend years in Acts because I've, I've loved the way that it fleshes out really so much of the rest of the New Testament in my mind because after the New Testament, or after Acts rather, the majority of the New Testament are letters written by Paul to different congregations or different congregations in different regions, like the letter to Galatians, for instance, not just to one church, but to many churches in a region. And we began to understand more and more of who Paul is. But I want to ask a question of you, and I want to answer it in three ways. What do we learn from this first missionary journey? It, it starts in chapter three and en- or 13 and ends in chapter 14. Remember, it starts in Antioch of Syria, even though, you know, in chapter 13, they're in Antioch of Pisidia. That's, a, you know, a good ways away, probably some, you know, 700 miles away, um, that Paul travels a long distance But what do we learn about Paul here? It's a little bit more than just this 14th chapter, even though we're going to look at this 14th chapter. And I want to say there are three things that we learn in this first missionary journey. That Jesus shares his life, his new life with Paul, his life of power with Paul. And he does it first to the Jews, as he promised, and then to the Gentiles. That's sort of what we see today. And we see it completely in this first missionary journey. The second thing that we see is that he also, Jesus also shares his sufferings with Paul. We're a little bit shocked by that. Um, Maybe you're silenced by that. We'll talk about that. And lastly, I want you to see, even from the mouth of Paul, that Jesus shares both his life and his sufferings with us. This is a big section of Scripture to comprehend. This is one in which we stop and say, whoa, are we sure we want to get into this? Well, I want to do it right here and say that Jesus shares his life with Paul. What do I mean by that? In the book of Acts, Luke is speaking to his friend Theophilus. At the end of Colossians 4, we understand that Luke is not introduced to the Colossians with the other Jews, but with the other Gentiles. Luke is a doctor. He's called the good doctor Luke. And he's writing to another non-Jew, Theophilus. And he's explaining and exclaiming in one sense to Theophilus, you've got to understand, Theophilus, this Paul He is a completely different guy. And I want to show you in this section how Jesus shares his life with Paul. I don't know if you've ever known anybody that's been converted. One of the conversions in my life was a guy named Bert. And Bert was with us in college. And before Bert came to know Jesus, he was a hard guy. 
He was intimidating to me. Um, he was the cool frat guy that wanted nothing to do with anybody that wasn't part of his circle. If I could describe Bert, he was a consumer of everything, just a consumer, intimidating to be around. The gospel came into his life, and he was transformed. I'll never forget when Clint, my buddy, called me and said, you're not going to believe who became a Christian yesterday. I was like, who became a Christian yesterday? Clint He said, Bert. And I was like, no way. There's no way. And yet Bert had become a Christian. And over the next three or four years, even beyond college, Bert and Mita and I became very, very close. And all I can tell you is that there is a sense in which understanding the radical transformation of somebody when they come to know Christ will stop you to believe that Jesus shares all of his life with people. In fact, the Apostle Paul would write to the Corinthian Christians, this church in Corinth, he would say, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And that's essentially what Luke is explaining to Theophilus in these verses. Because Jesus shared his life with Paul. And he did it while Paul went first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. We saw in chapter 13 that he went first to the Jews. He went to Cyprus. He met Bar-Jesus. Remember the magician? And, and then from Cyprus, he traveled on to Antioch. And there he went to a synagogue and he preached. And we saw him filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, Back in Cyprus with Bar-Jesus, chapter 13, we saw in verse 9 that Paul, who was filled with the Spirit, looked intently at Bar-Jesus and then proclaimed, Bar-Jesus, you're going to be blind. Now remember, you know a lot about Saul or, at least, or about Paul, or at least you're familiar with his name. But remember, Luke is writing to Theophilus, who only knows about Saul from about four chapters before in this letter. And the letter's not even divided up into chapters. He, you know, it wouldn't take him 30 minutes to have met this guy. He's like, wait a minute, this guy who was blinded in chapter 9 has now turned around and with the power of Christ pronounced someone else to be blind? What is going on? And then not only with the power of this new life in Christ, but the proclamation of the good news with which Paul proclaims to the Jews both forgiveness and freedom from last week in chapter 13. And this week we get to him proclaiming that good news that Jesus proclaims through Paul to the Gentiles. Jesus shares all of his new life with Paul to these Gentiles, both in power again. And this power of the healing of this lame man. Now listen. If you've been studying or reading at all with the book of Acts, you go, wait a minute, there are a lot of parallels here. What does this look like? Well, it's Acts chapter 3. I'll let you know. It's when Peter is on his way to the temple, and there's another lame man there, a man who had been lame from birth. Here are a few of the similarities. Both of these healings happened outside of a temple. The question being, who is the God who has control of this spot right here? Both lame from birth. Both of these, both with Peter and with Paul, it says that they looked intently on him. 
And what are you supposed to hear? Well, Luke repeated it for us in chapter 13. He said when Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, then he looked intently at him. So this phrase of looking intently at him is his code for being also filled with the Holy Spirit. That this powerful demonstration that we read in chapter 14, that Jesus proclaimed, and, and we've said this the whole time, that it's really the acts of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles is the best way to understand this. But look at this again in verse 3. It says, so they remained for a long time speaking to the word of his grace, or speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by them. Jesus is the one in charge. Jesus is the one sharing his life of power and proclamation with Paul. This proclamation is again parallel with Peter. We see him proclaim to those who witnessed the healing outside of the temple of Zeus that when they ran to worship him, just like with Peter, when Peter proclaimed the word of Christ to Cornelius, he said, don't worship us. We're not to be worshiped. Peter says, I'm a man just like you, is what he told the people in the temple that day. And here Paul says that he and Barnabas tore their robes and said, don't worship us. We're here to tell you good news. The good news is that you have the opportunity today to turn from vain and empty things to the living God. And he goes on to say that this God is a God whose voice that you should recognize. Listen to how he says it right here in verses 15 and 16. He says that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He says in the past generations, he allowed you to walk in your own ways, but he didn't leave you alone without witness. This might remind you of Romans 1, that Paul would go on and write to the Roman Christians sometime in the future. Yet he didn't leave you without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and glad things. The voice of this God who is proclaiming to you now new life in him, a living God, is a voice that we should recognize. Good things that God had given that point to him. That we ought to turn from the emptiness of idolatry and the worship of other things, of the creation rather than the creator. You see, the power of Paul's proclamation was to these Gentiles who worship worthless things. I couldn't help but read that and think, man, I would love to do something so powerful that, that all of these people would say, wow, you're an amazing individual. And for someone with sin patterns like mine, the idea of allowing somebody to worship me is something that is much more naturally something that I'm prone to. But here we see Paul rejecting it. But what we see in the parallels between Paul and Peter, as Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and as he demonstrates that with power and with proclamation and the parallels that we see between Paul, who is also filled with the Holy Spirit and with power proclaims the new life of Christ and in proclamation, is we see that Jesus hasn't withheld anything from Paul. 
Jesus hasn't withheld anything of his new life proclaimed to the Gentile, to the Jews through Peter, nor has he withheld anything of his new life proclaimed to the Gentiles through Paul. It's almost that you hear in a new way Paul's words to Galatians when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. He wrote that to the churches of this region when he wrote that. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. The first thing that we do is we walk away from this first missionary journey. We're amazed at what Jesus shares with Paul. He shares with Paul his new life in power and in proclamation for the Jews first and for the Gentiles, fulfilling the Great Commission. But the second thing he does is he shares with Paul his sufferings. Do you remember in chapter 9 when Ananias was supposed to go see Saul who has been blinded by Christ on the road to Damascus as he went to persecute the Jews or the Christians rather in Damascus. And Ananias goes, I, I've heard about him. He's a dangerous dude. I can't go see him. And, and Jesus comes to me and says, Ananias, I want you to go do this. And then he says this in chapter nine. He says, Ananias, you need to go to him. I'm gonna show him how much he must suffer for me. Do you know somebody who suffered greatly in their lives? Do their words mean different things to you when you know they're suffering? Louisa and I were driving to work on Saturday morning. Uh, I told Louisa, pick something for us to listen to. She picked a musician that I know from my past. And she picked a song where he talks about heaven and heaven is going to be where he sees his daughter who has since died. And I know a little bit about the suffering of this family. And the moment was just one of those moments where it was too weighty. And I was like, you, we, got, we got to shut that off. I, I, those words, they're so weighty because I know it. I know that suffering. And in many ways, this becomes this way for Saul. And I want, or for Paul rather, I want you to see through chapters 13 and 14 how Jesus shares his suffering with Saul or with Paul rather. Remember, they go from Antioch in Syria. They travel, uh, let's see, west to Cyprus. And there, Paul is opposed by Bar-Jesus. And Bar-Jesus looks at the proconsul and he says, look, don't listen to that guy. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So really, he tries to undercut Paul before the proconsul there. And then they leave Cyprus and they go to Antioch of Pisidia. And there, the opposition is increased the, the Jews there contradict Paul. They said, no, Paul, you're wrong. And then they go after him personally. They revile him is what we're told at the end of chapter 13. And then we see that they stir up persecution among all the Jews and that they actually drive him out of the town. They drive him out. And then he goes on to Iconium. We see there in Iconium at the beginning of chapter 14 that there he is mistreated or he's treated shamefully is what that word mistreated says. They make fun of him. They say, you're a fool. What an idiot. You know, we see in other places that Paul writes to the churches and he goes, I know that I'm not winsome when I'm before you in person. I know that I have a problem with my speaking. And they make fun of him there. And then they seek to try to stone him and they force him to flee. And then in Lystra, we actually see that the Jews 
had traveled from Iconium and from Antioch, the two towns before, hundreds of miles at this point, pursuing Paul, they create this situation of mob violence and they stone him and then they drag him out to leave him for dead. Again, the, the words of Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, flood over me. But what is Theophilus here? He goes, no, wait a minute. You're telling me that all this suffering happened to Paul, who was previously Saul, who in chapter 8 of Acts had ravaged the church. We're told there that he had mistreated, seriously injured other Christians. That he, Saul, had traveled from town to town seeking to persecute them. Sounds familiar? That he actually oversaw the stoning of Stephen, and he approved of it. And when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The persecutor is now the one who is persecuted. <coughs> Jesus shares with Paul all of his sufferings. But what's amazing is like the disciples in Acts chapter 5, who after they are beaten at the council before the Jews, they leave and they rejoice that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. At the end of chapter 13, we read that Paul and Barnabas, who are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit after their persecution, they're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We read at the end of chapter 14 that even after he had been stoned in Lystra, from Derby they went back to Lystra, and from Lystra they went back to Iconium, and from Iconium they went back to Antioch, and then from Antioch they sailed toward home. That he returned to those towns and to encourage those believers and to declare, as he says at the end of chapter 14 to the church, that God had opened doors. You gotta, you gotta stop and and realize, whoa, all of this suffering, silence. There's there's sobering to it. I want to say the joy of the disciples and the joy of Paul in the midst of this suffering is really off of our grid. It's off of our radar. The idea that this suffering is something that we would rejoice in. You see, Jesus doesn't just share all of his life, both his power and his proclamation with Paul, but he also shares his sufferings with Paul. And in the end of this letter, we, believe, we see that Jesus shares both his sufferings and his life with us as well. Remember the key of this proclamation of this, of this sermon that Paul, gives Barnab Paul and Barnabas give at Lystra is that the good news is that they proclaim to the, to the people there who are, who, are, who are completely pagan folks who worship Zeus and Hermes. Listen, there is a living God that you are invited to turn to away from the vain idols. From death to life you're invited. Jesus says, I am the life. And in verse 22... Of 14, the Apostle Paul says to the Christians 
who he goes back through each of those towns to encourage and to strengthen. He says in 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. And as I read that this week, I was like, oh, wait, who's we, Kimosabi? <laughs> who's we? Sharing in all of these tribulations. This is the first point that we hear Dr. Luke speak in the first person that we share in the tribulations. As Paul and Barnabas taught every church and as he proclaims to Theophilus and as we hear from Paul himself. Because when we see his suffering, listen to how differently you might hear these words as he speaks to the church in Rome. He says to that church, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is what is on offer in the gospel. We inherit eternal life. This is the glory. Listen to what Paul says here. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's Paul speaking to the Christians in Rome. Listen to him speaking to the Christians in Thessalonica. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you, Thessalonians, about you and the churches of God for your steadfast your steadfastness and your faith in all your persecutions and sufferings. He rejoices that they have sufferings and that they're steadfast in the midst of them, rather. And then lastly, he says to Timothy, who is the one he's raising up to care for the church. He says to Timothy, you have followed my teaching and you have seen my persecutions and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra. What does Paul take away from this missionary journey? These things, these senior sufferings, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. God was faithful. And this is what he says. Indeed. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I was stopped this week. As I saw in this passage that Jesus shares all of his life with Paul, no different than he shared with Peter. And he also shares all of his sufferings with Paul, as he did with Peter. And he, Paul makes it clear that Jesus shares all of his life and sufferings with us. But you see, this isn't just Paul. Jesus says it in John. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What do you feel about persecution? How do you feel about when you're the laughing stock of your friends because your hope is in Christ? And you go, Bradley, I'm never persecuted. Are you ever speaking about Jesus and the hope that you have in Christ? 
we read from his word that those of us who hope to live a godly life will be persecuted. But see, I find myself running from this so much. Jesus says at the end of John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. What has he said to them? You're going to have suffering in this world. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have suffering. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In this very first missionary journey, we read and understand that Jesus shares his entire life with Paul. When Paul has a new creation, everything is new. Power and proclamation, the life of Christ poured through Paul, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. We also see that he shared all of his sufferings with Christ. And when Paul says and encourages and strengthens the church, that through many tribulations, we also will come into the kingdom of God, that this suffering is ours. And it is ours because the life of Christ is ours. What will happen when the gospel goes out in Newton and Wellesley? What's clear is what Jesus' name is proclaimed, the people who proclaim his name suffer, are persecuted. Is that what we are ready for? The first section amazes us. The second section silences us. The question of our own suffering causes me to stop and ask Jesus to make me bold. The interesting thing is that's what Paul asked people to pray for him. Can we pray that way for each other? Our Savior has given us everything. He's given us everything. Let's come to his table now that we would be fed.